0: The Dime is sponsored by 8th Revolution. The cannabis industry has unique challenges, which means you need a multifaceted partner to help you navigate the landscape. 8th Revolution has a team of experienced science and business experts to provide a unique analytical approach, providing services from capital to cannabinoid and everything in between. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields. And with me, as always, I've got my right-hand man, Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, another East Coaster, New York's own Mike Major, founder of Green Lane Communications. Mike, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today?
1: And I'm doing great. I always love talking to other fellow New Yorkers that are in the cannabis space. So uh, it's, the pleasure's mine. Awesome. Kellen, what's going on, man? Not
2: a whole lot. I'm excited to be the only West Coaster on the on the podcast today, so it'll be interesting to get both East Coast takes.
0: Uh, East Coast wave is finally here. So, Mike, before <laughs> we get started, uh, better can late you tell... than never. And I added that part out. Before we get started, Mike, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, at the moment, I do PR in the cannabis space, but taking a little bit of a of a rewind. I got started in in public and media relations and a little bit of thought leadership development around 2011, 2012. Um, But I was working in the book publishing space at the time. So I was working with nonfiction business book authors who were launching their books. And at a boutique agency that I worked for at the time, we essentially just did a PR campaign to launch them, kind of build up their authority, their credibility, their expertise, and, and shine a positive spotlight on that. But about three, I would say three years into that journey, I decided to take a trip to a local hemp wellness center here in New York and just educate myself on cannabis, on CBD, how do all these different cannabinoids interact with the body? And I would say about five minutes into my visit, I was just having a great conversation with the shop owner. And in comes an older gentleman who was suffering from really debilitating tremors. And I've told this story before. He couldn't even open the door on his own. His wife basically had to open the door. She had to do the talking for him because he couldn't even control his body or formulate sentences. The the tremors were so severe. Uh, And long story short, the owner was just like, hey, listen, I I have this one tincture specifically that I think could really make a significant impact and a difference on this situation. Feel free to, to try it out if you want, make yourselves comfortable, hang out for five to 10 minutes, see how you feel and we'll take it from there. And so I'm watching all of this, you know, go on. I kind of took a step back, but I'm watching all of this take place. And after he took the the tincture, what felt like maybe two minutes and all of a sudden it was like a light switch. He regained control of his body. Tremor subsided from what it seemed like maybe like 70%, 80%. And all of a sudden, he was able to talk again. And the first words that came out of his mouth were, I need the biggest bottle of whatever shit it was you just gave me. And that was like the coolest moment. But it was... And I get goosebumps every time I tell that story. But at that moment, I was like, you know what? I love what I'm doing. I love business. I, I, I Personally, I'm like like a personal growth, personal development junkie. So I love that world of books. But I felt so drawn to putting a positive spotlight on people like that shop owner, making a positive impact on other people through the use of you know cannabinoids or cannabis-based products. That instantly I was hooked, and I just decided to transition over from that world over into cannabis. And so I still take that same framework and that um, those modalities, but I just decided to bring them over into cannabis. And um, and now we're almost three years in, and it's just it's been one hell of a ride. And I love hearing that story. So. I want to kind of talk more of, about that, right? You're, you're, you're making the
0: pivot into cannabis. Obviously in New York, as Kellen was saying, we're a little bit behind. So what does the surrounding people in your life say when you're like, hey, I'm pivoting my life, I'm moving
1: into cannabis? What's the natural kind of conversation like? So at first, I knew that it wouldn't be a good reaction. It would be like, what? Like, what are you doing? Like, it kind of just seems like you're going off into this crazy direction. So I didn't really talk too much about it. I just did it. And I was like, I think the work is going to speak for itself. I just have to do it. It was a little bit of blind faith, a little bit of a risk, but something in me was like, no, you can do it. So I did it and things were really starting to take off. And that's when I started to talk about it a little bit more with, you know, friends, family, people in New York. And at first they were kind of like a little bit taken back by it, but then they were also like very, very intrigued. And as you know, now New York is starting to get on the legalization bandwagon. And now when I bring it up in conversation, Everybody's like, wait, what? Like, tell me more about this. I, I need to know more about it. So, just as as like a cannabis culture in the state of New York, it's really cool to see how much it's progressed from like two, three years ago to where it was like still very taboo. And it's still a little bit, you know, taboo depending who you talk to. But now, people are kind of like, wait, so like, tell me more. Like, what's going on in, in in this whole like weed world? So it's cool to see that shift happening. Yeah, the shift in in about two years has just been absolutely crazy. At first,
0: my parents were were telling people, and then they were like, the responses were really mixed. And now people are asking questions every time, you know, I see this product or I don't sleep, I'm in pain, like, what what can I do? Where can I start? I mean, it is all over the board, but I think the best part is the kind of curious folks are here. People are really excited to get started. And as you were saying, New York is finally waking up for what's going to go on. So let's start about that conversation. When you're having conversations with people in the space, you know what's a typical conversation like from like an educational standpoint? Where do you try to guide them? What information do you think is
1: really important for people to know that are that are maybe newer to the industry? Yeah, I would. So there, there's there are two conversations that I typically have, and it might be somebody who's just new to using cannabis-based products, and the other conversation is there's somebody who's new to the industry and they want to break out in it, and I think for the industry part of that question, it's, I always emphasize relationships. And I know my business is based on relationships, just being in PR, but so many other businesses, whether it's compliance, extraction, even like CPG products, every single CEO or founder of a company who's doing well, will always tell you, if you ask them, you know, what's been one of the keys to your success, uh, it's relationships and, and having strong bridges that, are built on a foundation of trust because I almost feel like maybe about five years ago, a lot of people came into, into the cannabis industry from outside industries and they promised a lot of folks, the world charged them a hell of a lot of money, didn't deliver, bounced. And so now that that leaves a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths when they see new people coming in. And so what I always say is do your best to just build trust, build rapport, and play the long game because there is no other game. People in cannabis are very keen to picking up on people who want to come in, try to make a quick buck and then get out. So if you if you think you're going to be able to put one past these folks, it ain't going to happen. And so come into cannabis with a with a long-term mindset and focus on relationships and that's going to help you build out your network, build out, you know, the teams that you want, the the talent that you want to attract to your company or maybe get you in the door with one of your first clients where you can then build out different case studies or build out a portfolio of success. So for me, it's always been relationships. And that's one thing that I'll always preach because that's one thing that a lot of people who I have respect for that I've seen succeed, they have always told me the same thing and it's worked out very well for me. So from an industry standpoint, I would say that from the other conversations where people are getting into products and they don't know where to start on the THC side of things... Don't just read the back of a product label and be like, oh, this has 33%. This is going to be amazing. You might have the worst experience of your life and that's okay, but it's not all about the THC. It's about all the other cannabinoids, the terpene makeup. And so that's one thing I always stress to people who are, who are kind of breaking into to cannabis products and trying them out for the first time.
0: I really love what you said about the relationships, and I've learned that incredibly fast of how importantly valued this is at a whole nother level. And I think, Kellen, this is you know this is where you've excelled for so long. Is is I can't tell you how many times people have opened up doors for us just based on relationships and for for kind of playing the long game. So kind of go on that, Kellen. You know, expand on that conversation.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think always right, like your network is your net worth, right? As far as everyone has a saying goes or a motto, if you will. But I think in cannabis, especially it's, it's a little more prevalent just because we all have like a common enemy, which is that it's federally illegal, And we're all kind of pushing towards changing the cultural stigma. So it creates all of those factors that we're all kind of fighting together. Yeah, there's competition between brands and whatnot, but we're all fighting the same battles of trying to get state banking, trying to get federal legalization. So that creates this community, if you will, And I think that like finding the right people in that community is just going to strengthen your business so much greater than like trying to just fight everyone in the industry like you would in in other spaces, if you will. Um, I know that's not the best, like the cleanest analogy, if you will. But in cannabis, I think it's a, a lot more important to have or you should put more emphasis on your network and the people that you kind of interact with in those relationships because it's a long game, right? Like no one's getting rich quick. And... The media wants you to believe otherwise I guess but like <laughs> like no one's getting rich quick and like if you're really in cannabis because you love the plant and you kind of planted your flag where you think it like that story you told Mike like that's a, a beautiful story why why the plant should be available to the masses. You know what I mean? And there's so many other medicinal benefits to it and, and XYZ from that perspective. And people that are in the industry just to make money are not going to make the right decisions that are going to help the community achieve its goals, right? People that cut corners, I mean, you saw this with vape gate, right? Like people were cutting corners because they were cutting their distillate into vape pens because they wanted to make more money. And that then created this entire crisis within the industry that almost crippled it. And so like we all understand that like we all have to be in this for the, the same reasons and do the right thing in order to win this way bigger battle that's bigger than any one company in terms of change, changing the, the global opinion surrounding cannabis and its safety.
0: So let's kind of dive into your company, Mike. What's a common conversation you're having with
1: your clients? Yeah, great question. So with, with new clients that, or, or people that, that come to me, a lot of times that conversation starts out with hey listen we've accomplished xyz and they'll usually list out you know a number of accolades or really really big game changing achievements that the company's done internally or maybe the impact that it's made on a particular focus group in the industry and then their main question is you know how do we get this out there how do we tell our story we have something here but we just don't know how to actually put it together and then get it out there and amplify that awareness so that's typically how conversations start and the, the typical day-to-day conversations with clients are just staying up to date on what's happening in terms of business development, what new partnerships are, are forming, what new partnerships would, are, are needed to be formed in order to kind of like take things to the next level. And then just getting an understanding of where they are, um, who they are, what they do and why they do it and where they want to go. And once we have that narrative built in and, and figured out at that point, It's really I'm off to the races and I'm connecting with editors, reporters, journalists, uh, podcast hosts, just like yourselves to find out who is covering certain pockets of the industry and who would be a valuable connection to cover their story or cover a new business development. Or maybe even do a, a executive profile on somebody who's really got an interesting vantage point that can share their perspective on it through a lens that nobody else has in the industry. So a lot of connecting the dots, a lot of introductions, uh, a lot of strategic thinking. And a lot of times the calls are kind of like brainstorm, brain picking sessions from my end. And I'll just have a list of, you know, five to 10 questions where I'm like, Hey, listen, I don't mean for this to sound like an interview, but like, tell me like, where are you at with this? Where are you at with this? And then that just opens up so many different doors for me to, to go out there and connect those dots and make those introductions.
0: Do you feel like when you're trying to pitch some of your clients that sometimes there's the cannabis stigma where people are a little more hesitant? How do you have those conversations?
1: Yeah. Cannabis-focused outlets, they are in it. So they understand cannabis a little bit differently. And they probably come from a different place than some of the more mainstream outlets. But I will say it really helps whether you're pitching to more mainstream outlets or whether you're pitching to cannabis-focused outlets. It really helps when you take a very professional, polished approach. And I don't mean to be buttoned up when you're not a buttoned up brand, right? Or like changing who you are or talking differently. That's not what I mean. But like when you're sending a pitch, it should be organized. It should be straight to the point. Why am I reaching out to you? What is it that I can offer? And this is the number one thing that I want people to always take away. And this is whether they work with me or not. And I always tell them this. When you send a pitch or if you're talking to somebody, What's in it for them? It's not about you, right? You might bring a lot to the table, but does that even matter to an editor that's maybe covering extraction? But meanwhile, you're doing something related to farming. like there's there's no connection there. You might be a great person. That outlet might be you know killer. But if there's no connection, that there's nothing in it for them. So I always stress there has to be something in it for them in order to make the pitch worthy, otherwise, you're just wasting your time and their time. And they're going to remember that. So that's that's the one thing I always stress to people who want to pitch themselves for earned opportunities. I just wanted to give them props for uh, emphasizing the professionalism. I think
2: that's one thing the industry has been trying to work on for the last five years. And it's always music to my ears when other people are kind of continuing to push that message forward. So that was the only thing I wanted to say. Go ahead, Brian.
0: Kellen, why do you think that's not so prevalent in the cannabis? Industry? I don't
2: know. Honestly, I think that it could be because of just the... The demographic of individuals that like jumped into the industry and and it, it's an unbelievable opportunity from an entrepreneur's perspective. And I think that there's a fair amount of entrepreneurs in space that were unsuccessful or struggled in other sectors in their life, and they saw cannabis as this kind of golden ticket opportunity to be able to start a company and still be able to smoke weed and do all these other things, right? And And turns out that like when you smoke weed all day, it's hard to kind of like be organized and professional, if you will. And so there, I think that at the beginning, there was this kind of like, a lot of people get in, at least from my experience, a lot of people started a weed company and they're in being a weed company and they're like, oh, well now I'm a a weed company so I can just smoke weed all day. And then I'm just stoned all day. And it's like, turns out it's hard to run a company when you're just stoned all day. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or at least like be professional about it. And so I think that that, uh, and I'm again. This is like I'm. No, I don't want to group everyone into this category, right? This is just like a significant portion of individuals at the beginning of legalization. I think that was the case, but over the course of the last five years, it has changed significantly. You know what I mean? And I think it's because of people like Mike continuing to push that message forward. Because it turns out it's a lot easier to do business with people if they're if they're organized, if they have their thoughts together, if they know what they want, like all of those things. So. I think that that could be why. I'm just speculating. Um, do you have any
0: opinions on that, Brian? No, I'd be speculating as well. But I think at least from a communication standpoint, like Mike was saying, I think some of these established journalists are expecting like a normal standard pitch when they get these recipients. So when when people come with a different style, it's not going to resonate as well, right? There's going to have to be this molding of the two industries. Sure, you can do these different styles in cannabis. You can be stoned all day if you want. it. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, there's like an adherence to business practices that is a standard across the space. And the one thing is respect others' time, trust, relationships. And when you're going to pitch something, make sure it's valuable. Make sure that you do a little due diligence to make sure you're pitching correctly. Because I can't tell you how many times we've had conversations with people who come to us and they're like, yeah, I just want to run like ads on this, or I want to do this. And it's like, that's great. But like, have you kind of thought through the approach well, cannabis is a lot of things. There are additional challenges in cannabis from a marketing sense. And and Mike, I want to go back to you on this because I'm curious as if with some of the first time founders, they approach you and they're like, hey, like, let's take this approach. And you're like, hey, sorry about that. But like in cannabis, we can't do X, Y, and Z. Do you have those conversations
1: at all? Yeah. I mean, I've had every conversation under the sun. And That conversation typically goes over pretty well because I'll always preface it with being like, I'm here to offer you just what I've experienced. And based on that experience and based on some of the results, good and bad, I just want to share this information with you. Whatever you do with it, like at the end of the day, like your brand, your company, like your business, that's your baby. And I totally respect that and I get it. So at the end of the day, like you are in your driver's seat and you can do whatever it is you want. But If you ask me, I would advise against it because of XYZ. And nine times out of 10, people are cool with it and they respect it and they they take it and they run with it. And sometimes they may be like, hey, that's a great idea. So does that mean that we can maybe do this or do a play on this? And I love those conversations, right? Because that means that we're getting somewhere. And a lot of times I learn so many new things just by having those conversations and by opening up those cans of worms. So I welcome those conversations. But one thing that I wanted just to kind of kind of go back on real quick. And this just stresses the the importance of being professional and organized. I reached out to an editor of a pretty big industry publication. And the reason that I have a good relationship with them is because of one pitch that I sent last year. And the response that I got was, it was something along the lines of, wow, I can't believe how organized your email was. I really appreciate it. And I wish that more publicists were organized like you. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. And the the reason I share that, the only reason I share that is because the response I got had nothing to do with the with the client, with any products, with any questions about the products. It was just because my email was organized. It had bullet points. It was short and sweet. It had a very simple call to action at the end. Took me maybe five minutes to, to write up. And to this day, I have a great relationship with them. And it's all because of that one simple thing that had nothing to do with cannabis. It had nothing to do with the topic. It was just a simple matter of being organized, putting together a a really good, simple email, and that's it. So just going back to like the professionalism, that was one example that I wanted to share with you guys and your listeners because stuff like that is priceless and working with somebody who kind of operates like that versus somebody who's scattered and all over the place. um, People are going to want to work with you a lot more if you just have your shit together the opportunity yeah. in this industry phenomenal experience, right so. like
2: that's what is your that's a usp right there just
0: <laughs> so let's let's keep going on that besides organization and techniques like that for for those listeners who are out there who want to be in this space but they, they're not afforded the opportunity to kind of partner with someone like yourself mike what's
1: a concept or an
0: idea that they should be aware of that they're not thinking about right now just based on your experience
1: Yeah. So you want to make sure that you're telling your brand's narrative before somebody else does, because chances are, if they do it before you do, it's going to be incorrect or they're not going to nail it down. And a lot of times that has to deal with marketing and branding and marketing and branding are are almost like sisters or or cousins to, to public relations and media relations. But being able to kind of formulate that narrative, have it down pat, and then take it and go on a podcast and be able to clearly explain it in a way that's very easy for everybody to understand and run with, or to write an article about the the pocket within the industry that you or your brand is is actively working in, doing those things and starting with those things is a great place to just start telling your brand narrative, building authority, building trust, building credibility. And all of this just goes back to none of this is is short-term ROI. I mean, sometimes it does result in a phone call or an email or, or a couple of new leads coming in. And that's great. But all of this is just like brick by brick by brick. And it's a long-term play. But after a certain amount of time of doing it, even just after a year or two of doing this, you're going to look back in the mirror and be like, wow, I started here and now I'm here. And a lot of this has to do with the credibility and the authority that I've built up over time. So starting with podcasts, guest articles, pitching yourself to editors or to writers and offering your, your, your insight because you know that they cover certain topics and you could potentially offer them some insight as well as their audience some insight that you know they value and they're interested in. And just sending emails and being friendly about it. And if they say no, offer them, you know well, hey, I, I appreciate the response. But at the same token, if there is anybody that you're looking to connect with, please feel free to reach out because I'm more than happy to connect you with them if I happen to have an expert in that category in my network. So even if it doesn't benefit you today, being a resource and an asset to somebody is going to benefit them. And in turn, they'll thank you for it down the road. And just repeatedly doing those actions pays dividends, especially in PR. Brand takes so much time to build that credibility
0: and that trust. But you're right. Once you get to that level of of trust, people see a symbol, a color, a font, and immediately associate something to it. And if yeah. you can associate or elicit some sort of positive affirmation towards that, you've done something that many people really aspire to do. But that's not easy. And that's the hard part is that everyone wants to do that, but are not willing to put in that grid and that consistency over time to build that. So, you know, continuing on that route, Mike, like when people are shaping that story and, you know, there. Interested in cannabis, like telling that story is so, so delicate balance because a lot of people have interest in being in cannabis or want to be in cannabis and love the plant, love smoking weed. But how do you get down to that true story is really art. So Mike, is there techniques that you can recommend to people
1: that are trying to craft that cannabis story? So, the, I mean, the story has to be genuine, right? Like you kind of have to look back and, and ask yourself, you know, do you want to be the face of the company or is it just going to be a brand that stands on its own? Are you going to support it? And it depends, you know, are you, is it a CPG product? Are you a consultant? Are you a company that offers services? So a lot of these things come into play and, and kind of throw wrenches in the, in the nitty gritty. But overall, what I always recommend is identify who your client avatar is. So who's like your ideal client, your dream client? Figure out their demographics, psychographics. And then from there, write out a list, maybe 10 pain points that they have. And then take another sheet of paper and then write out, what skills and what value propositions you bring to the table? And then just simply connect them and try to figure out, okay, well, how do I solve this problem for this person and just bridge that gap? And then from there, you start to connect the dots, and you figure out, well, how can I connect with my dream clients? How can I connect with the perfect person who could really value from, from this service or this product? And then from there, you can start to kind of go back and be like, well, you know, I spent 30 years in agriculture. That should be a piece of my story. And then you kind of just start, you know, going backwards and and connecting those dots and and building the house. And that's really how it all starts. And that's just a good place to start. And from there you'll gain a lot of clarity. It's it's almost kind of it's kind of therapeutic in a way because you can go back and and just really see what's going on and what you've done and and how it all comes full circle. I love that you
0: shared that. And there's a client that comes to mind, and I wonder if Kellen's thinking the same that <laughs> created this brand and had this product and had this perfect person in their mind right and built mm-hmm. this entire story but then when he priced it he missed and he missed that so when we were kind of going through it and he was describing this this persona person and then you're like wondering you're like how can this person afford this 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 high-end yeah. product so i wondered kellen is like i suggest we start at the end part and work backwards or the other way is like you want to identify a certain product category and you know it's going to be on, let's say, the higher end. You then have to evolve the marketing around that because not not everyday consumer can afford a super high-end product. Is, is that the same approach you take, Kellen?
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's the approach we always take with our clients is to start at the end, you know what I mean? And kind of what the like best case scenario looks like and then try to work backwards from there. Because like a lot of people, they'll hear the the buzz and they'll be like, I want to do this. And they're like, look, if I build this spreadsheet and I make this number really large, I'm gonna retire two years. <laughs> and you're like, you're like, you know. That's just not how this works, <laughs> and so working backwards is always what I found is that at least the cleanest way to like set expectations because I think that's a, a huge mistake a lot of people make in the industry is kind of just not having proper expectations, right? And so, so Mike, I, I have a question for you. How often when you're working with your clients do you come across one that does have that end target avatar or product, and and it's really kind of buttoned up? Is that like more so? Uh, like 60, 40, like what's kind of the distribution of the clients that you talk to that, that do have those kind of things, or at least have thought about the end consumer or the end product and what they want to do with that?
1: So that's a really, really good question. Most of the clients that I work with have thought through those things numerous times, and they've nailed it down pretty well. Um, I find that a lot of the people that I actually end up working with, they've, in order to get to a place where they see value in publicizing their story and getting it out there, they must have already accomplished something pretty significant. That's,
0: yeah, that's right. And
1: when you accomplish something so significant that it's press worthy, right? Because I always ask, like, when you, when you think about a story or something you're reading online, so what? Right? Like, And so if somebody's like, you know, what can we do with the story? Sometimes I'll just be like, you know, congratulations. Like as an entrepreneur, that's huge. But at the end of the day, like, so what? like you haven't done anything yet in the world of like headlines or press or something like that. So you have to be super like conscious of that. I digress a little bit, but once you're at the point of seeing the value in PR, you've probably already done your homework and you've already not just strategized correctly, but you've also executed and repeated that execution over and over and over again to get you to a point where you're like, okay, we've gotten here now to get here we really need to blow this thing up. How do we, you know, get more attention and how do we connect with the with the media and different outlets and and people like that. So, I'm very fortunate to be in that position and to be working with folks like that, but I'm sure it is very common and it's something that I think a, a lot of people just kind of, you know, put that to the side when they start whatever endeavor as an entrepreneur and sometimes they kind of just jump ahead, but you do need to kind of, you know, just grab that pen and paper and lay out those blocks and ask yourself is this even viable, right? Does does my ideal client even have the funds to subscribe to something like this or to pay for it or, or whatever it might be? Great question, though. I love that.
0: I think that's a really good point. So I guess for the people who are on the fence and wondering if PR is a good resource for them, you know, is there a couple markers or, or thought through
1: checklists that you would recommend for someone on the fence? Yeah. So for anybody on the fence, I always start with this. And I start with this because there's a lot of confusion between advertising and PR. Advertising is when you desire for the end goal to be for people to click on something or see something and then go buy your product. So you see an ad on Instagram or you see an ad on a billboard, you just want people, you know, go to the dispensary, go to the dispensary, or, you know, buy this tincture, buy this tincture. So that's the end result or what people desire when they really need advertising. But with PR, you want the end result to be when somebody consumes a piece of content, whether it's a written article, whether it's a podcast, you want people to walk away after they've consumed it and say, whoa, that's important. Two totally different things. Two totally different things that they accomplish. And so I always put that disclaimer, if you will, like very, very early on in conversations, because if you're looking for advertising, like I'm not going to be your guy. And if I try to convince you that that PR is what you need, you're going to hate me because you're not going to get the same results as advertising and vice versa. Right. So some people think that they need advertising when they really need PR. And it goes the other way around as well. So those are two very clear distinctions. PR, you want people to get the importance of it, advertising. You just want to drive traffic or or directly drive sales and see if you can get a dollar for dollar ROI. So important. The alignment of
0: of what the true goal is of all the parties involved to make sure that everyone's on the same page because you're right. If they come to you, Mike, and they're like, Hey, let's do this because I want to increase all of my website traffic. And you're like, Well, that's swinging a miss there, sir. Like, I don't really think that's what we're going to hope for. I mean, that's tough. And sometimes, you know, we've had instances where we had a client that came through and thought he wanted one thing and and realized midway through the journey, he needed something completely different. And that's a, a really challenging approach is we're there to kind of help and, and guide them through some of these these really challenging processes. And, you know, it's really important to understand what the end goal is and then align with that and work backwards and make sure that you're creating a stepping stone and every step you do is in order to achieve that goal. Totally. So I read one of your recent articles and I want to pick your brain on this because I was I was really excited about it. Cannabis companies that prioritize this feature are typically more profitable. And before we dive into that, I want to let you know that I was clicking that 100 out of 100 times before <laughs> because it's a very enticing title. So I give you a ton of props on the copy there. Because I was like, I need to read this. I was like, I have to read this now. So kind of dive in. Take us through the process on on, on creating a title like that. Is there like, is it intended? Like, can you share some ideas on that? Because I think it's brilliantly done.
1: Yeah, I, thank you for that. So anytime there's a title, whether it be the subject line of an email, right? Yeah. That's what it's called, subject line. I was going to say subject title. Um, <laughs> But whether it's, a, whether it's a subject line or whether it's a title of an article, your, your goal is to always just get people's attention at the, at the very least. Because if they're not going to see it, if they're just going to blow past it, what good is the content that you spend hours developing on the inside, whether it's the body of an email or an actual article? And then I always like to back up the title to make sure that it's not considered clickbait or somebody clicks on it and then says, eh, that's, that, that was a good title, but this is just awful. Like this has nothing to do with the title. The, the way I like to make sure that that doesn't happen is to make sure that I can quantify or I have done research that quantifies whatever statement it is that I'm making. So that article that you're referring to, I think I wrote about compliance in that one, right? Yeah. And the reason I, I wanted yeah. to bring that up was because when I was kind of diving into
0: it, the subject line, I'm glad you brought that up. The subject line's goal, at least in my opinion, is to sell the open right, is to get someone to open the article, the email, the subject is sole focus. And then the email's body is to really back up exactly like you're saying. But ultimately, it's to take person through the approach, and then to sell the click at the bottom. And if everything is not in alignment, you're right, people immediately think clickbait. And we've had conversations internally, Kellen and I about that approach. Fundamentally, we differ sometimes on the words to include (laughs) subject, because he sends me a title. And I'm like, dude, that is clickbait. And like, I would click <laughs> that no doubt, but it doesn't, it doesn't say what's inside and he's like, it's a good subject. And right. There's no debating on that. So it's a really hard balance to kind of mix the two. Kellen, what's your thoughts on that?
2: <laughs> I mean, Kellen. I do, I do send you a lot of subject lines or yeah, it's just probably clickbait, but I'm trying to get engagement. Right. And um, so I think it's, it's a hard line to walk, but I do see the other side of that coin because I get emails that are clickbait and I open them up and I'm like, this is just spam. And then the next time I see an email from that provider, I'm like instantly delete block. Like I've played this game before, like don't want anything to do with it. And so like I do, there's a huge importance from a a building a brand perspective that needs to be placed on those kind of situations. And, and I'm glad that I have you there to kind of filter some of my more clickbait <laughs> subject line.
0: I mean, I'll definitely click it, right? There's no doubt about it, but you're <laughs> right. I'll be upset after. And, and one interesting thing that I've learned in my experience, at least, is that sometimes it's okay to have a dull subject when the value inside is expected already. So we've kind of AB'd a couple email subjects and we've taken I've taken the aggressive approach in like selling the information inside. And it, it's deterred a majority of our openers and whether or not that was just a random occurrence or certain subs. I was surprised to find out that a dull subject line, sometimes of just embodying a of generalization of inside, sometimes can do the job, which was weird for me as a, as a trained marketer to believe that. But that's my experience. Mike, have you found something similar, a different approach? You know, Share some ideas on that.
1: Yeah. It's super interesting because... I'm sure you guys have seen subject lines or like ads where like the the top headline is something like, you know, how I made it, uh, $5 million in 30 days and you can too. Right? Like awesome. Like, let me buy your course. You don't <laughs> think any of those so, are like, real? <laughs> you're really
0: attacking money Twitter out there, dude. Be careful. They're very. Kellen, we gotta we gotta talk after the show, man.
1: <laughs> but no, so like that's that. Just, I mean, that's that's probably a bad example. But like something like that is kind of what I would consider like, yeah, that's like a that's like a sexy headline. That's very like general for the most part. But it's okay to not have this 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 big flashy Times Square billboard type of headline if you know that your audience is not necessarily ones to fall for something like that. Like if you're talking to to very high level executives or people who are maybe in a particular niche that I'd like to be blunt, like, I don't know, maybe it's just a little bit of like a boring sector of the industry. Who knows? So like, you don't have to try to come up with all these like bling, bling, flashy Subject lines because they don't even want that. So like sometimes you do have to kick it up a notch, but then other times you also have to get a good understanding for who it is you're talking to, and that that I think is the most important part. So like sometimes you might just catch somebody's attention. I mean Brian, even like you said, the subject line might seem dull, but then when you open up the article or you open up the email, you're like, man, this was this was a great piece of content, and it's not because it was flashy, but because it told you exactly what you're going to expect. And then it was jam-packed with more than you even anticipated. And I think that's key to getting people to not just open it, but then to also consume it and then gain your trust or kind of be like, you know what, I'm kind of excited for next week's newsletter. So I think depending on who your audience is and kind of what they expect and what they want and what kind of world they live in and what they're used to reading, that should also give you a little bit of a direction as to where you point your compass in terms of your, your copywriting style
0: all goes back to understanding exactly who your demographic is and then creating and crafting an experience completely for them. So Mike, since you've been in the cannabinoid
1: industry, what has been your biggest misconception? Oh, that's a really good question. My biggest misconception is that because the industry moves so fast, I thought that everybody did everything super fast. So like for example, sometimes you wake up and there's total like 180 news regarding, you know, maybe like a bill for legalization or there's there's some kind of like advancement that you were like well that came out of nowhere awesome but that totally came out of nowhere just because the industry moves like that and moves that quickly does not mean that everybody that you're going to work with also moves that quickly and so that kind of caught me by surprise but understanding how people work and what their turnaround times are and things like that that's a very important thing to understand and respect also especially when you're collaborating with different vendors or different people on your team that might be in a different location if you guys are remote. So just understanding people and understanding that everybody's got stuff going on, whether it's good or bad, but understanding that not everybody's going to move as fast or or as slow as you, that's going to help you with your expectations a lot from other people in the space. That's good advice. So before we do predictions, we
0: ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned
1: to pass onto the next generation, what would it be? Relationship capital is incredibly. I was gonna say it's more valuable than gold, but with the way gold's going right now, I don't know. (laughs) But then, relationship capital, like stack that up, like the same way you might be be stacking up cash or Bitcoin, or like you might be buying real estate investment properties. Like stack up the relationship capital because that pays dividends in ways that you could never even imagine. And um, you can't do things alone. You could be you could be a solopreneur. You could be you know, uh, a one or two man operation. But like at the end of the day, let's face it, like there's three of us on this this uh this podcast right now. You guys have done, you know, how many episodes already? Like these are like all these different people, even though they might not be on your payroll, even though they might not be direct vendors, but like your paths cross. And so people have they they will help you get to where you want to go as long as you help them get to where they want to go. Um relationship capital. Well said. I would leave it at that. <laughs> All right.
0: Prediction time. Silly prediction, but it's a more of a theory. M- Mike, what is the best way for cannabis companies to add value to their organizations marketing-wise right now that most are not doing?
1: Start a podcast.
0: Ellen? good. That's a good one. I, <laughs> but say the question again about
2: marketing technique.
0: Yeah. What can they be doing right now to further their cause wherever they are in the cannabis space?
2: I'm going to go with consumer facing brands, and I'm going to say more traditional marketing techniques. And I think as more white label brands have entered the space, they've tried to employ like other marketing techniques that are successful in the 21st century, right? From a, a consumer packaged good perspective. But I think that every brand I've seen become successful has been very, very involved in kind of that like almost like a grassroots movement, right? So like hosting vendor days, like becoming friends with the bud tenders, right? Like all of these things are just... I don't think that they're executed as cleanly as they could be and that most brands kind of undervalue that, I think personally, and they're not investing enough time into the relationships, if you will. Brian, what's your thought? This is your wheelhouse
0: I know, and I, and I don't have any, I don't prepare an answer. Um, for, like, you wrote kind of the while. question. I know, but I, I, I mean, every time I, I've, we've, we've done a hundred of these and uh, 99 out of a hundred times, my answer has been stolen. So to have a pre-prepared answer oh, is usually yeah, a waste. And know. sometimes my second answer has been stolen. So um, podcast is a great one. It is, is exhausting. It's, it's tiring and it's harder than I ever realized it could possibly be. I think being authentic would be so valuable. And the one idea that came to mind when you guys were talking was like getting an inside look behind some of these companies on what goes on. I think it's so fascinating from like a documentary standpoint. The industry is moving so fast, and the things that are going on are so are ridiculous because these companies are scaling, they're trying to build out the, these obstacles, they're dealing with ups and downs throughout the day, they're looking for employees they're doing vendor days. I I think if we could get an inside look, if one of these MSOs or one of these smaller companies just took uh, a simple documentary approach and just kind of gave an inside look of what's going on in one of these companies, I think that would build up such brand trust and understanding just by seeing how it works. And I think you'd be able to deliver different type of value than you could in a non-traditional style approach, right? It's not going to be that, let's just write 100 articles in 100 days. But But creating a piece of content like that would be different, it'd be unique, and it would be really special because it would give perspective to an industry that doesn't have a behind-the-scenes approach yet. And I think it would be awesome to see. I mean, I'd be fascinated to watch that even being in this space. And I can only imagine for others who are intrigued by it, who want to get involved, like how cool it must be to see the inside of a facility. I mean, we're fortunate enough where we have partners send us photos from their facility, and it's mind-blowing. It, it it looks fake some of the photos we got a photo yesterday and i was like this doesn't even look like a real photo and then i was like i want to send this to someone but i wasn't sure if i'm allowed to just based on relationships but just having that perspective i mean it was one of the coolest photos i've seen and just having
1: the ability to kind of see that inside look i think would be so captivating one of my clients actually yesterday texted me a picture of some new crop that they have on their land and uh, and I'm on the call, and I'm just like, just you know, like in, in the flow of the day, and I'm just like, all right, cool, whatever. Like, oh, nice, all right, cool. I'm glad we got this. Glad we got that. And then I get off the phone, and I'm like, this is my job. Like, people sending me pictures of like fields of like all these plants, and like I'm getting like up close pictures of like different buds and stuff like that. And like, if I was in high school, and you saw my phone, you'd be like, we're sending you to to the principal's office, young man. <laughs> But like now, like you see my phone and you're like, tell us about this. Like, how is the industry in New York? And it just goes back to kind of what we talked a little bit about before, how like how things are changing and how it's just so cool that that, you know, the three of us here could even be in a position to where this is our this is our livelihood. And this is kind of what we do day in and day out. So I I always think it's cool just to kind of have a moment of like gratitude for the fact that this is what we do. So it's pretty cool stuff.
0: It's pretty awesome. And I think for those who are interested in getting into the space, but are hesitant because of whatever reason, I mean, you got to be in it to win it. And cannabis is still in its infancy stage. And I know we've said this repeatedly, but like, think about it for a second and actually realize like it is still federally legal. We still cannot buy legal products here in New York yet soon. Mm -hmm. But I mean, just from a perspective of where we are, we have so much where to go. And now is the best time to get in if you weren't in yesterday. So Mike, for our followers that want to get in touch, they want to learn more, where can they reach you?
1: Yeah, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, That's probably my favorite platform. And then if you want to visit the website, greenlanecommunication.com, or you can send me an email, mike at greenlanecommunication.com. And I'll get back to you pretty quickly. I'm always up for a good cannabis chat. Well, thanks so much for your time,
0: Mike. We look forward to talking to you soon. You too, fellas.